There was once a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. One day the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, Skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. Stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, he is in your power. Only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd with which to scratch himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. This is the word of the Lord. Dr. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of this book of Job, begins with a preface and says, Suffering gives us trouble enough, but undeserved suffering is seen by everyone, everywhere, as blatantly unfair. That life would be so much simpler for us to deal with if bad things happened to bad people and only good things happened to good people. Archibald MacLeish wrote a play years ago called J.B., a modern take on this book of Job, It includes two lines that probably have been remembered more than any others. If God is God, then he is not good. If God is good, then he is not God. Meaning, if God is really in charge of things, if God is really running things, then you have to say of all this suffering, sin, and death, God is not a good being. Or if you choose to say, oh, but God is good, then you have to say, then he's not running things. He's not taking control. Things are running out of control. That was Magleish's take. For the next four weeks today and three others, we will be looking at this book of Job, seeing what we can find in here that is most helpful to us. Things that are forever true about God and us, and what, if anything, we can understand about undeserved suffering. Number one, in chapters one and two, Job is described with the very same words. Job, blameless, upright, a man who stood in awe of God, a man who turned from evil. In fact, in chapter one, it says, Job was the greatest man in the East. Wow. 
Centuries later, when our Lord Jesus lived, his own disciples would quarrel among themselves as to who was going to be greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus rebuked them for that, saying, If you really want to be great in my kingdom, you will deny yourself. You will serve the other. It's not a place sitting beside the throne or at the head table at every banquet. Uh, I'm among you as one who waits on tables. But here it is said of Job, he was the greatest man in all of the East. What an, what an accolade to be placed on anyone. Blameless, upright, standing in awe of God, turning from evil. You're familiar with the name Peter Schaefer? Uh, years ago, Gail and I took our two sons to New York City and we saw the play Amadeus. Uh, we saw Frank Langella play the role of Salieri and he was wonderful. A couple of years later, we saw Amadeus performed right here in Tulsa. Head of drama department for Tulsa Community College played Salieri, and we liked him even better. We thought he was terrific. It was a wonderful play, Amadeus. But then Peter Schaeffer wrote a rather strange play called Equus, about horses, six horses that have been blinded by a stable boy. A stable boy. 1974, it first was produced on Broadway, 34 years ago, and now it's back again. It's selling a lot of tickets this time, probably because the young stable boy is played by Daniel Radcliffe. And younger people know he's the one that played Harry Potter in all the Harry Potter movies. But the stable boy is not really the primary character in the play. The primary character in the play is the child psychiatrist who's trying to figure out why this young man would blind six innocent animals. Why? You can tell he's the primary character because in 1974 that role was played by Anthony Hopkins. And when Anthony Hopkins wanted to move on and do something else, Richard Burton came in to play the role. Remember? It's that character who has the great lines. And one of them is this. This boy, from his drab life, has somehow found more passion than I've ever known in a single second of mine. This boy is passionate, but he has wrecked great havoc upon six magnificent animals. Job was one who had great passion for things that really mattered. Being blameless, upright, standing in awe of God, turning from evil. Number two. Second important thing here is that there's a heavenly counsel in this book. And the council gathers and God asks, what have you been doing? What have you been up to? What have you seen down there on the earth? And finally turns to the Satan. Now, this is not a capitalized word in Hebrew. It's not a proper noun and is translated by the rabbis as the adversary. In some translations, you'll see it translated as the accuser. Uh, Goethe, the great German poet, said he is the one who negates everything. Dr. Brandon Scott, when he gave our Barton Clinton Gordy series, called him the liar. That the, the word in Hebrew and in Greek can mean something like the accuser, the adversary, the liar. Goethe says the one who negates everything. God says, what do you think about my man Job? Well, I think he's a good man because you bless him all the time. If you were to take his blessings away, he would curse you to your face. 
Now, we're told in chapter 1 that Job is a very rich man. He has a lot of sheep, a lot of donkeys, a lot of oxen, a lot of camels, and he has seven sons and three daughters. And then a messenger comes to tell him that the oxen and the donkeys have been destroyed, the sheep destroyed, the camels destroyed. And the fourth messenger says, and now your sons and daughters all are dead. Job's things have been taken away. No question about it. And he grieves the loss of those things. He tears his clothing, a sign of being undone. He dishevels his hair. He puts cold ashes on his head. He grieves on the dunghill, the town dump, among the garbage. He grieves his loss. Now, we hear a lot about loss right now. You bought stock recommended by somebody you trusted, and it's gone down. You've looked up your IRA the last few weeks, and it's gone down. Your 401k, and it's gone down. But you and I in Oklahoma, at least lately, don't know much about having things taken from us. There are others in the world who know far better. Are you familiar with the name Miri Benari? She is a young violinist. Uh, making quite a name for herself now as a young adult. Mary grew up in a small village just north of Tel Aviv in Israel. Uh, She said that when she was a little girl growing up, her school class was taken to see Yad Vashem Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, She knew there were a lot of newspaper articles in this museum and that a really bad man, man named Adolf Hitler had seen to it that a lot of Jews had died, but it seemed so long ago and so far away it didn't really register with her. In the sixth grade, age of our confirmation class here, Mary said that she had an assignment at school. She was given a chart for a family tree, and she and all the others were asked, see how many people in your family tree you can fill out. And if you need help, I'd suggest your four grandparents is a good place to start. So Mary said that afternoon after school, she went over to see her grandmother and her grandfather, showed them her family tree and asked, would you help me fill in the names? She said they were sitting beside each other and her grandfather put his hand over on her grandmother's hand and she started to cry. And Mary said, I'd never seen her cry. In 12 years I'd known her, I'd never seen her cry. And I said, what's wrong, grandmother? And she said, we're from Poland, your grandfather and I. And more Jews lived in Poland and more Jews died in Poland than any other country under the Nazis. Not many of us are left. Could you help me? Mary asked, and they began to mention names, significant names. More weeping. And then finally the grandmother said, Mary, you play the violin so wonderfully well. In my village, there was a little girl like you who played wonderfully well. And the Nazis took her out and saw to it she would never play again. Our people were rounded up and forced into one house and then forced into one neighborhood and then forced into cattle cars and finally were gassed and exterminated. And they wept. Have you had your things taken away? Have you had people whom you loved taken away? Job knew what that was like, and he grieved. 
Number three, Job then fell prostrate. The word is in Hebrew, prostrated himself, which is almost always the language of worship. And so your new Revised Standard Version says he worshipped and did not curse or blaspheme God. He did not sin. Did not sin. Job sat out there by himself and did not sin. There was another heavenly council, and this time the accuser, uh, the adversary, the liar, said to God, Well, you men, Job's still doing well because so far it's just been skin for skin, deal for deal, value for value, but strike him, strike him, take his health. And he will curse you to your face. And God said, not me, but I will let you visit Job. Just don't kill him. Now, the medical community have tried for centuries to figure out exactly what happened next to Job. The word used here in Hebrew means something about inflammation. It's a word that means heat. Some have thought it was a pox of some kind, smallpox or something like it. And Job ends up again out here on the dunghill, and he's got a piece of broken pottery and is scratching himself. Sores from head to toe. Head to toe. Um, finally, even his help has been taken away, and he sits alone in his illness. Um, Fernando Morelis, native of Sao Paulo, Brazil, has a new movie out called Blindness. I'm not recommending or not recommending. Uh, it has some graphic sexual violence and other violence in it. It's supposedly a movie about a man driving his car home late one afternoon when suddenly he's afflicted with something and is blinded. He suddenly goes blind. And as the movie progresses, another person turns blind and another blind and another blind. And it's something that they're passing on to each other, catching from each other. And there's one blindness after another. Finally, all these people are rounded up and quarantined in an old mental hospital. And what they do to each other is, is, is horrible. Um, Fernando Mireles says, you know, I've been convinced a long time that we are still very primitive. We have a thin layer of civilization over us. But when it's stripped away, we are violent and very self-centered people. He said that to prepare his actors for these roles, uh, he took small groups of them and had them blindfolded early in the morning and saw to it that they did not remove the blindfold all day. And he said with each group, it was only a matter of time till one of these actors would break down in tears and just start sobbing. So Fernando decided to try it himself. And he said early one Sunday morning, he put on the blindfold and he went all day without seeing. He said, it's true. You smell things you haven't smelled before. You hear things you haven't heard before. You can't read. You can't watch television. You can't play with a computer or with video games. You sit alone, alone with you. He said it was such a different kind of experience that he's done this several times since. When he had a day that he could be blindfolded and just sit blindfolded all day until evening came. It really focuses one, he said, 
you start to ask big, big questions about what matters and what doesn't. That's where Job was. Number four, Job's wife comes and says, well, you're all by yourself. You've lost everything you had, including our ten children. It's time for you to curse God and die. Um, Some have said, well, that's the way women are. They're always getting guys in trouble. Back through the centuries, that was said, as it was said of Eve about Adam. But not today. We have lots of women theologians who are writing commentaries now. And Dr. Carol Newsom says it really is just saying, woman, you're talking trash. You're talking trash, and that's where I am. I'm sitting out here on the city dump, scratching my sores. Don't talk trash to me. And Job did not sin. Did not sin. John Greenleaf Whittier was born in 1807. Just a few years after the French Revolution, which was prompted by the American Revolution, But he saw a lot of bad things happening in these United States of America. He was born in Massachusetts, lived there 85 years. He was a strict abolitionist. Slavery really bothered him. But he was not a military man. He was not a fighting man. He was a writer, a Quaker writer, whose worship consisted of people sitting quietly and waiting for the Spirit to come after which they might say a sentence or two and then be quiet again. He saw us go through that great war between the states and the horrible years of Reconstruction that followed it. He was living when Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and one horrible thing visited upon a person after another. His answer was, Dear Lord and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind. In purer lives, thy service find. In deeper reverence, praise.